With the coronavirus pandemic exploding around the world, some countries have taken to aggressive contact tracing to identify how it's spreading. There may be a way to do this without invading your privacy. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me, Stephen Shanklin, one of the biggest brains at CNET and someone who can understand when folks from MIT get involved with this project. Now, to get everyone in the same footing, talk a little bit about contact tracing. What is it? Sure. This is a very old technique for dealing with epidemics or pandemics where you basically, uh, a healthcare professional interviews somebody who has whatever disease, finds out who they've been in contact with. That lets them trace what the origin of a disease is and also potentially figure out where it's going next, uh, which, uh, which people that person has been in contact with who might have got it afterwards. So it's a very old technique for tracking disease, figuring out who needs to be quarantined or sequestered or needs to shelter in place or be treated. And the problem is it, it doesn't scale. It's something you need a medical professional to do. And if you're looking at something like COVID-19, the disease caused by coronavirus, it's really hard to talk to every person in the world. I mean, this has affected you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of people. So it's not very easy to do large scale contact tracing. Definitely. It's actually hit over a million at this point. So, uh, talk about this project. This is basically like everything else in the world. We're creating an app for it. And so talk a little bit about this, um, private automated contact tracing or PACT. Yeah. PACT. So this is a project done by a team of people MIT is spearheading the effort, but it involves a lot of other universities as well, including Brown, Boston University, Carnegie Mellon, and uh, some other folks as well, researchers at a lot of different institutions. The way it works is it uses your phone's Bluetooth connection to broadcast a digital ID number from your phone and to listen to digital ID numbers being broadcast from other people's phones. There's no handshaking or, or any kind of actual acknowledgement but each phone keeps a record of the digital IDs it's come in contact with. And what happens next is if you are, if you test positive, you can voluntarily upload the list of IDs you've come in contact with. And if you haven't tested positive, you can go to a central server and download the list of IDs and see if there's a match with your phone. And that lets you find out if you potentially have been exposed. Gotcha. And so this is this is actually really interesting because the use of this digital ID, that's sort of the key here for keeping it private, right? Because with contact tracing, I mean, it requires a lot of information. You know, you're, you're, you're giving out all of your details as well as all the folks you've been talking to. This sort of solves that problem of uh, kind of keeping things somewhat anonymized, right? Yeah, exactly. So there, there are two interesting uh, comparisons here. So the first is to traditional contact tracing. A lot of people, when they're, they enter the healthcare system, they might be okay participating in that kind of a system. But if you're not, you might not want to actually share all that detail. Uh, but the other comparison is other ways of doing this large-scale contact tracing with an app. So one obvious way you might think about doing it is uh, sharing a GPS log, a, a, a recording of everywhere you've been that your phone can very easily keep. Now that's relatively easily done, but you might not want to do that. You might not want to share that with the authorities or all the world. So what the interesting thing is about PACT is it lets you find out who you've been, excuse me, it lets you find out that you have been in contact with somebody, but it doesn't tell you where it happened or who it was with. So this lets this contact tracing happen in a large scale way without actually sharing personal details. 
Interesting. And, and tell me some of the, if you could talk about some of the folks behind this, because there are some pretty big names behind this project, right? Yeah, there are some very interesting names. Uh, two of the people are Ron Rivest and Adi Shamir. Uh, those are two of the people involved in the RSA encryption algorithm. Uh, it's a very important invention that lets your computer set up a secure connection uh, on a network. So they are very big names. There's a big gap between having a lot of research credibility, though, and actually deploying this system in the real world, writing an app, writing an app that works reliably, and running the system that does the that records the IDs of people who have a negative, excuse me, running the system that records the IDs of the people who have tested positive, checking it for security vulnerabilities. There's a lot of uh, real-world implementation detail. So these guys are really big names in the encryption world, and they have a lot of credibility when it comes to things like security and privacy, but there's still a long way to go between the initial idea and actually making something that works in the real world. Yeah, I mean, this is a problem that we're dealing with right now. Like, what is sort of the timeline for something like this? Because it is right now, it's a project, so like, is this going to get rolled out? Like, are we actually going to be able to use this in time to halt the spread of COVID-19, or is this really for the next big pandemic? It's not clear at this stage. They don't have a release deadline. They do have prototypes working on both Android and iOS. They've actually had some trouble getting those two, uh, getting smartphones from those two worlds to talk to each other, but uh, they do have prototypes working. So they're not starting at uh, zero right now, but they don't have an app released and they don't have a schedule. We've seen the new rates of COVID-19 infections decreasing. So there's some evidence that the curve flattening is working. Uh, It still seems like there's going to be quite a while before we're out of shelter at home rules. So there could be some window here for still for people to uh, get some use out of this app. And there also could be, you know, there's a lot of fear that there's going to be another flare up later after shelter at home rules are eased, there's still a lot of risk that this could blow up again. So it potentially could be useful in detecting another outbreak. One of the really important things here to note, though, uh, when it comes to the this time issue is how hard it's going to be to get this app installed everywhere. So it's going to be... Uh, we've seen cases where authorities recommend wearing masks or staying at home and, and people voluntarily comply with that. Uh, we haven't seen anybody recommend running a particular app. Something like that could help encourage adoption or some direct support from Apple and Google in promoting this on their app stores or their COVID-19 information pages. But without something like that, it's going to be really hard to get this app into a lot of onto a lot of phones fast. Right. I think that's that's my, that was my next question. Is really the the scalability issue. Like this only works if everyone downloads this app and embraces this idea. But that's not necessarily the case, right? Well, you can look at it two different ways. It only works in a large-scale way if a large number of people download the app. But even on a small scale, it could potentially inform some number of people that they're uh, at some risk of infection. So if some small number of people are alerted and get uh, follow their symptoms more closely or potentially get treatment, you know, it could help with that small number of people. But for this to be really effective at the large scale, uh, it yeah it has to be deployed widely. That's much more challenging. And is this the only game in town? I've seen pitches for a number of other apps that uh, that promise contact tracing, that promise to track things. Like, what's the difference between you know those pitches and what you're talking about today? 
Yeah, there are several efforts. Actually, some of them have already come together. This one uh, at MIT joined with some folks at Boston University who had a very similar idea. There are other efforts. There's one in Europe. There's something called COVID Watch. There are different efforts that use this basic approach. Then there also are other efforts that use other approaches. And then there are other apps that do things like help you identify your, check your symptoms. And then there are other apps that have been used to see if people are generally obeying the shelter in place requirements or advice. There are lots of different apps. It's very confusing right now. I think one of the big challenges we're going to have is uh, for people who want to help themselves or help the overall fight, it's going to be kind of a mess to figure out what apps they're supposed to install, what apps are useful, what apps are potential privacy invasions. And I'm sure there can be a lot of cases, what apps are scams or garbage. Yeah, that's definitely something we've got to watch out for. Well, that wraps things up. You can check out Stephen's story on CNET.com. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or leave us a voicemail at 862-250-5713. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.